You are listening to Oblivion. It is January 2nd, 2024. Happy New Year! And a uh, happy new year. And so uh, to begin this, uh, do you mind if I continue with a, a, a riff that I was uh, just discovering uh, when, when you called? Lay it down on us, baby. Yeah, let's. So let's I was thinking let's it's a start, new year. I got to get a new song out. Yeah, right. yeah. So let's start with um, other uh, wonderful things, um, creative things. Uh, uh, Gaza, um, ten uh, around ten thousand Gazan children are amputees from the genocide, and over a thousand were uh, uh, amputated without. Anesthesia. So uh, that's that's this week's uh, fun fact from the genocide. Um, <clears throat> and they just uh, keep built stacking up uh, the the pyramid of bodies as we've talked about before. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, and uh, I guess uh, Biden's illegally uh, uh, sending more money to Israel, which you know apparently they can just. Now you can just write blank checks, and uh, you don't even have to talk to Congress about it. It's just, <laughs> uh, right bypassing Congress. I, I think I've sent you uh, some. Uh, yeah, an article about that. Yeah, articles about that, and I think it's significant for at least two reasons. Uh, one is this idea of uh, that we've got to hold on to our democracy. When you know we don't want to have somebody in there that just operates uh, carte blanche, if that's a term that you could use, and basically that's what we have, right? We've that this you know one uh, foreign policy psychopath, Top Gun Joe, and then the uh, the broker, <laughs> Secretary of State, uh, just 
single-handedly bankrolling this genocide. And if the Congress doesn't want it, if the people don't want it, how does that message ever get through when you can just bypass Congress? Now, it should be noted that Pompeo did this. He bypassed Congress to get arms to Saudi Arabia, I think, in 2018. It's not unprecedented, but it more gets to the point that the two parties and administrations of both parties, both Republican administrations and Democrat administrations, have more in common than they do that there is a, a, a difference. Uh, so the idea that we're operating as a democracy, but we won't if Trump gets back in is, um, I think that's drawn into question with the way that Biden is bypassing Congress. And it also, uh, is an issue because of all of the ways in which, uh, Congress is supposedly the obstacle for things not getting done. And so you say, well, then get around them. Don't let Congress have all the power. That's why you have these different branches, right? So that they can override each other if one of them becomes too powerful or uh, too corrupt. Yeah. If it just won't do what the people want it to do or what's best. Yeah, but, but um, in, in general, uh, for overall, even though there's this pretense of there being uh, two parties, uh, generally, um, now the executive just has carte blanche to do pretty much whatever they want as far as. Uh, uh, right. I just think you learned a lot more about our, our system and what's wrong with it if you pay attention to the similarities yeah. between Republican and Democrat presidents, Republican and Democrat administrations. Look at what they have in common. That's when you really see uh, you come to a better understanding of it than just repeating uh, this uh, generic dumbed down narrative of how divided the country is. And so things never go anywhere. I mean, the Obamacon, for example, had no problem extending the Bush wars. Right. So what's the difference? (laughs) And uh, of course, liberals are all caught up in uh, identity politics and we have a black man in the White House and America is starting to look like America. And so, I mean, if you really wanted that, if you really believed in that, man, what you need is you need a 330 million headed president. Right? (laughs) That's what... That's I know that's kind of that might that's a uh, kind of a long episode title, but the three hundred and thirty million headed president. I think that's a great movie and starring the all star team from MSNBC because they'll love that because they're the ones that always keeps in America needs to look like America. (laughs) And it's like if you have any basic powers of observation. None of us look like anyone else. And that's one of the things that's beautiful about humanity, right? I don't look like you. You don't look like me. No one looks like each other. So you put somebody up there and say, and that looks like America. No, it doesn't. That person looks like that person, just like everybody else. Well, I, all I know is when I look in the mirror, I ain't black. <laughs> 
Antony Blinken is a perfect example of how the administrations overlap, how they have common agendas, and they have a core common group of people that serve under administrations of both parties, right? Blinken, I believe, was appointed to some significant government post in 2002, as I've said in the previous uh, in a previous podcast, he comes from a family of, of diplomats and his grandfather was one of the uh, major players in getting the nation of Israel formed. So, uh, and that doesn't just go on the Democrats because again, it was Bush that brought him in. And that's something that I, I do have to point out. I don't have any confidence or trust whatsoever in the Republican Party. And I have no doubt that if Trump were president when Hamas had attacked Israel on October the 7th, we would be doing exactly the same thing. I mean, it's just impossible to think that it wouldn't happen. I mean, this whole uh, get attacked and then just butcher your, uh, your enemy, like these people that you've always wanted to slaughter, uh, started with George W. Bush, who appointed Antony Blinken. That's Blinken first getting in there uh, and immediately became cozied up with Biden, right? Who then became Biden, then becomes vice president under the Obamacon, and Blinken stays in to broker these wars in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. And the Afghanistan war, of course, was a fiasco. And then Biden is a big liar, uh, slimeball con man for going in front of the American people and saying, Four American presidents have had to deal with this war in Afghanistan. I'm not going to pass it on to a fifth and looking like he's all uh, going to move the country forward. And now we're mired in these uh, two wars that almost make you feel nostalgic for <laughs> the days of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, as sickening and depraved as a statement as, as that might be. Um, but we, it's just such a um, endless uh, decay and, and decline, uh, a plunge into, into the abyss, whether you have, it's a vicious spiral with both parties uh, caught up in it. And I think that's really, um, one, it's, it's what's clearly obvious. And so you have to deal with it. Um, yeah, Man. and it's the the clearly obvious thing, but then there's this uh, unbelievable denialism slash uh, marketing, uh, gaslighting, uh, you know, name your list, being propagandized that everything is the opposite of that, right? <laughs> that uh, Bidenomics, everything's doing fine. Uh, you know, don't don't look uh, on the other side of the curtain where you've got the. Uh, Twelve uh, percent of the uh, populace is homeless, or whatever. Uh, you know, uh, just um, uh, yeah. Right, and just, don't look at the big picture. Don't right. look at two thousand eight, yeah. and then austerity, and yeah, however. the the genocide is just necessary, David. I mean, this is just kind of has to keep going. Real denial comes in. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, the how that the uh, mainstream media uh, keeps. Uh, perpetuating uh, uh, 
just that there's nothing genocidal about the situation, right? And that actually, uh, one of the the latest casualty uh, um, breaking news was that the Harvard president resigned uh, after new plagiarism accusations is what the uh, headline is. And, uh, you know, she was accused... Uh, well, I mean, she was brought up before Congress, and then they, you know, she had this, did this terrible, you know, she was grilled dishonestly by these Republicans, and uh, uh, with, you know, full support of uh, the Democrats, of course, they just didn't say any of the same things, Uh, but, uh, you know, instead of the Harvard president, uh, or now ex-president, uh, just saying, you know, this is just, uh, in other words, in more diplomatic words, this is a bunch of bullshit. Uh, this anti-Semitism thing is, does not exist. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, we respect free speech on our campuses uh, and, uh, you know, supporting the Palestinians is not violent and uh, is not anti-Semitic, uh, you know, and say that instead of this mealy-mouthed, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I can't repeat exactly what it was, but uh, it was a cowardly response to this attack. And, of course, then, you know, the uh, Har- the Harvard lame uh people that fired her, uh, or got her to resign, uh, you know, went along with this, uh, you know, they, they looked at her academic record, in quotes, and, you know, found things like, you know, poor citations and <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, they finally said, well, you know, she's got to resign. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, 20,000 civilian deaths. <laughs> Hey, it's it's not a perfect world, but some uh, sloppy citation work. (laughs) I have principles. I'm an enlightened human being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you hit that one, man, because it's like there's definitely a disconnect here, right? It was kind of what I was talking about where it's cuckoo land, where everything's opposite land. Uh, you know, sure. you inverted. can see right. Yeah, it's in, the well, inverted. Yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is strength. It's like Biden saying that you know, freedom is war, basically. Uh, like uh, freedom <laughs> is uh, war is peace. And um, what are those ones from uh, war is peace? Um, ignorance is strength. And uh Slavery is is freedom. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The double, the double think phrases. Yeah, <laughs> he just does. He just he does that naturally, man. He's he's an expert. Basically, uh, saying war is is uh, freedom, right? In order to be at war, in order to be free, you just have to be uh, at at war all the time. One thought that came to me, and all of the all of these topics. In this premiere episode of 2024, uh, they they reinforce uh, sham democracy, right? I mean, bypassing Congress and then especially at a university, you can't function if you're in an environment where it becomes increasingly contested that it's okay for you to say whatever it is about whatever it is that you're talking about. Right. 
of all the places where, <laughs> and here's the thing, man, it's just like uh, competitive sports. If you don't want someone in your face trying to take the ball from you and, and talking uh, trash and, and making you uh, look bad, then the basketball court is not for you. And if you're that worried about people saying something that is going to make, uh, have trigger, uh, uh, one of your attacks, <laughs> one of your meltdowns or that is just so upsetting or that you, uh, have a need to feel threatened, then college isn't for you. And I think that's, this is a, uh, underlying story that's brimming to the surface in many different contexts. And this is one of them that when you just have, when you open it up and, and just say, come one, come all, if you can pay, you can play. Right. And then on top of that, you're, you're now paying these uh, star athletes, the basketball players and the star uh, football players and you just see this convergence of this horde of people who are at the university for uh, reasons that have nothing to do with education, and they're all self-serving, right? Which makes it a cauldron of ignorance, and it's all uh, it creates an, an adherence of, of minds, or I guess you could say an, an adherence of ignorance. And that could also be a competing episode title along with the 330 million headed president. Why did you say inheritance of ignorance? Um, adherence. Adherence. <laughs> of <laughs> ignorance. Adherence of ignorance. So adherence of minds is kind of like a way of understanding how rhetoric and uh persuasion work in a culture because in in one way or another everyone is persuaded by something or the culture wouldn't exist and people wouldn't behave the way that they do so you look at the way that they behave and then you kind of uh work backwards to uh in induce or uh infer i'm sorry not not induce i'm thinking about that fetus I, I want to abort uh, <laughs> in, in, in duck, right? there's deduction and, and induction um, but anyway before I get bogged down with all these terms uh, you want to work backward and then figure out you know what is this behavior that there has to be some kind of adherence of, of, of minds behind it and so mm -hmm. all these people go to college and they want the degree and they want the good life. They want the, the Dolce Vita at this degree and being educated and Dolce doors Vita. Opening up, um, making these connections and and so forth. Um, and then you think uh, these these great things are, are going to happen and you just have uh, cumulatively this mob of people there that. Uh, don't want anything to do uh, with education. Uh, it makes me think of the conversation that we had uh, last week. I don't know if, if you were a part of it, but how the public library just turns into this uh, romper room for the school children when they get out of school because both of the parents have to work 
and no one can come and pick up the kids. And so what do you uh, do with them? And it was also interesting to me that no one sees that as, as a problem, right? Like, is this really a great system when both parents have to work full-time jobs and they really can't focus on raising their child? And they talk about things like family values and all of that. Um, I don't know why everyone doesn't just agree to end the work day the same day that uh, school gets out. I mean, that would be easy enough. You know, not to mention that there are actually constructive uh, solutions. Like if we spent the resources and had world-class public swimming pools and we really encouraged art and music, then there could actually be, I think, constructive things for children to do when school gets out, but just like we need to demonize people who smoke dupe, <laughs> right? You, you've got to demonize children. I think in a lot of ways that's where the vilification starts, right? You kind of learn that as a child. You've got to be well behaved and mm-hmm. make other people happy, do what they're telling you to do. Then- yeah, it, it made me think of my mother recently complaining about a, a, a big issue for her that, uh, Apparently, the in the new uh, you know Murray, Kentucky, they've just re- uh, renovated or expanded the uh, public library there. And, Should have put uh, a jungle gym in. <laughs> and uh, you know, apparently, the middle school across the street, when the kids get out, they go over there and are loud and disruptive. And, uh, you know, of course, my mother thinks, you know, she probably thinks that they should be taken and, and uh, chained up or, I don't know, uh, beaten or whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so apparently that's uh, those misbehaving kids. Yeah, I'm sure that'll help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, right, I mean, something, something other, just having the books there at the library it would help with that, I would think. I don't know. What's that again? You know, just like you're suggesting, like have um, art programs or some kind of educational thing that they could do over there instead of just sitting and chit-chatting or uh, whatever they do. Right. Uh, Actually, um, did you say have something other than than books there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a a great point because that reinforces the, the literacy myth, right? Like the key to learning and... Uh, the whole best way to uh, bring children up so that they'll be prepared for a society is just to have them read. And it's, it's a behavioral thing, right? And that's what they want you to do. That's what they want the children to do. Like come in, get these books out, sit there. It has nothing to do with the actual cognitive um, meaning-making, uh, learning, knowledge building going on in the in the brain that this incredible thing happens when you open up a book and start uh reading it uh it's all about the behavior and the discipline right sit down and shut up that's what reading gets the the children to do and that's why there's such a strong uh emphasis on it but here's another interesting thing to think about is that people Learn the most when what? When they're having fun, right? So <laughs> right, right, right. When you're when you're not having fun, 
that actually retards. You said life. you said the R word, right? <laughs> it it's um, it it retards your your learning. It slows mm-hmm. it down. Uh, you're you're really more focused on. Well, first, let me give a, an example here. Yeah. Is um, let me see. Um, the 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 example is everybody's got a favorite song, right? And every, everybody's got a favorite song, and they can remember it. They can remember the words, no problem. And uh, but if they've got a quiz, they've got a test. And they have to remember this other stuff. So what's the problem? Right? Like if you can remember the song, why can't you just sit down and read this stuff and remember it? Because the song is fun. Right? And so everything is activated and alert. And so so you're saying, David, that we need to turn life into a musical, basically. Well, sure. Yeah. I, I, mean, I guarantee you that you would have a much, and then this is another, uh, this is the whole point. Now that also ties into sham democracy, but it's not a democracy if, if everyone isn't seriously invested in education, right? And in having a society of, of skilled uh, people, right? Who, uh, the biggest difference is between something and nothing, right? So if you had a society that was actually on a basic level educated and then cumulatively you add that up to the 330 million people, that makes a big difference from what you have now, uh, which is uh, everybody really doesn't want to learn. Right. The people in power want the masses to be ignorant and the masses uh, hate learning. And so the society kind of works so that no one has to do any of this uh, big brain stuff. Big brain stuff. But you can't but you people struggle to read the material and to uh, absorb all the correct information so that they'll do well on their test because. It's not fun, right? It's boring. And then when the tests start to come on, it goes from boring and becomes stressful. And so it's it's a struggle uh, to learn. But there's just uh, there's no reason to keep everything uh, the, the way that it is. And I mean, I, I won't put the blame uh, on the uh, on the library uh, because. Uh, I mean, it it is a library, but it is possible if that if they were going to spend all this money and do this big gen, uh, big uh, renovation, and they they already knew that this middle school was right across the street, there could have actually been some collaboration and some work back and forth uh, in terms of things that maybe they could have added if they were just going to create more space and just have more books, make it more look. 2001 space odyssey inside more computers whatever it is that they did um that that maybe they could have uh had areas for painting and and music 
And the other thing is I know that that middle school campus has uh, a good bit of yard space, and it would seem to me, I don't know why the schools and the, the city couldn't work something out where uh, so, some of them could just uh, stay there and hang out outside, right? Because if they're going to talk, and you really can't blame children. You say that they're misbehaving and they're being loud. They're, if you had a bunch of adults in there and they were talking, it would probably be uh, just as, as loud. I mean, children. Well, and be, and that's one thing that's changed since. Volume. That's oh, one thing. Ahead. That's one thing that's changed since we were young. The whole shushing in the library thing is long gone, man. <laughs> you know, it was actually that's one of the things that Dad saw about twenty years ago. Is he went to the uh, MSU library and they had. Uh, of earplugs <laughs> that you could get <laughs> in the life they were available up front so you could get earplugs <laughs> so um yeah talk about uh double double think man up, now, look, up is down down is <laughs> yeah yeah but this is perfect um so the uh a cryptic a uh, cryptic institution of consolidated power and the the microcosm of this is the library like what's the library for if it's in the in the fact that it's no longer a quiet place there's no longer an adherence of minds to to quiet like adherence to the quiet could be another yeah possible (laughs) um but that that this one place that you go to uh this is the one place not to make noise and here's here's a moment i would go to i remember when I was at UofL in the late 90s, and this is about the same time, maybe a little bit earlier than when your dad's talking about, when they put a coffee place in the middle of the first floor of the library, right? Like it's, you walk in and it's just, it, it's just like um, going to one of these chain coffee places where, wait, I'm not here to, be serious and focus on you know getting all of this work that I've, I've got to get done done this is just another place to like stuff something in my gut and have more hyper palatable food product and i mean in this case a lot of probably sugar and being uh jacked off i'm i'm, I'm sorry uh jacked up on uh, caffeine <laughs> uh jacking off on caffeine is good too david I guess I think that blows all the other titles away. <laughs> Jacking off oh, on coffee. That's got to be it. Jacking <laughs> off on caffeine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we got off on a long uh, uh, philosophical, uh, philosophical thread uh, there. Um, good for us. Uh yeah, but yeah, so yeah, I don't know really what the um and you know, knowing my mother, I mean she she praised uh the uh, Murray New Murray Public Library uh uh I guess she was part of the board or something, you know. She kind of worked for it there for a while. Uh so she has some pride in it and uh it's it's apparently fairly nice. So it's hard for me to believe there aren't like rooms that are um you know, available uh, 
for the kids to be in separate from the stacks you know uh but whatever well the thing is is i'm sure that there that there are but that's just not a realistic way of looking at human beings and especially children i mean they're just not going to they're not objects like it's not like putting a, a dish in a cabinet right this goes here this goes here they're just not going to do that uh, cats are a great example right like if you get a cat a toy that's the cat, that's the last thing the cat's going to pay attention to. It's going to pay attention to w whatever it is that you're into, right? And it's going to disrupt um, whatever that is, right? Because that's it's what it's interested in, and that's how it operates. It wants your attention. Um, so you just have to see things in a realistic way. What, what I don't like about the whole discussion about the... Uh, the the local library is the it, it the vilification of the children i mean that doesn't help anything right right it's not a surprise at all that if you've been anyone you have to be up at 7:30 in the morning and you're in this building all day right and except for lunchtime you can't talk so, of course, when it's over, you want to talk. And rather than realizing this, and you're supposedly a teacher, education, right, means you're not a moron. So don't act like a moron. Like, what do you expect them to do? And so the community, um, it, it would seem to be if the library is really interested in the, you know, the betterment and the well-being of both the community and certainly children there are other ways to do that than besides through reading and sort of to return to the literacy myth if there is a benefit to, to reading it's the same benefit that really any other kind of behavior has is that it's synergistic and it's integrated with other behaviors right you don't just do this one thing and that one thing is is good right it it helps you it's complements other things that you're uh trying to do right so you can make a i think a strong argument that uh among the ways to learn and among the ways to learn uh to become uh, a disciplined person that can keep it together uh Reading is is among those things, but our system completely distorts it. It acts like reading is the only thing that does that. It's really the only way to learn. And that all of these other activities, like playing music and painting, or for that matter, just having a conversation. And if you think about it, what's the difference between having a conversation and reading? There really isn't one. I mean, the when you're uh I mean speech Writing is basically speech written down, right? There are some formalities. There are some technical differences that you could point out. But it's basically like instead of having to go say something to all these different people, whether all of them at once in an auditorium or I have to say it to them individually, I could just write it down and copy it. And then if anybody gives a shit, then they can read it. Or you can listen to the person and talk to the person. So the way that we put it up on a pedestal 
and the way that there is a dearth of these other activities, obviously, like there, there needs to be more physical um, activity in our schools, certainly in middle school and in high school, right? Maybe they wouldn't be going so bonkers and crazy, the children, right, in the library, if they got to do something with all this energy they have. But that's yet another way, along with the time to hit the books attitude, that we beat children down. They have this energy, but school is all about you just have to sit there, right? You can't run around and, and do anything. I remember we played things like dodgeball. I'm sure they got rid of that. And war, did you ever play that, where you had all these rubber balls and <laughs> yeah. you threw them at people? <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty brutal. I mean, you'd often get injured. And, you know, uh, that was kind of the point, was to throw it as hard as you can so you could hit them. And, you know, kind of, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't, yeah. you can't. it's hard for it to be accurate, and then it's easy for them to get out of the way. So I wonder what they do. These days, if they have little cotton balls and they go around, they <laughs> they, yeah. or they probably don't run because they the children don't. The well, don't I mean, I've heard that. Haven't they gotten rid of gym and that kind of thing altogether, or maybe they still do? I don't. In Murray, I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, they 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 may have. I mean, when you think about the obesity. Like, why why would you do that? My my overhaul of uh, of education is in um, in middle school and high school. I would have the whole first part of the day be physical education, right? It would be you would get there. It would be physical education, and then um, or I don't know. You tell me what what you think. Would it be better to have? It might be better to do say two 75-minute classes, then you have um, lunch, then you have, I would say, like a social hour, just give it a whole hour, people can digest their food, hang out, do whatever they want, and then the whole last part of the day, maybe that works better, like the last two hours is all physical education. Everyone has to do something collectively that's kind of rigorous for about half an hour, and then everybody can um, do more of, of what they want, but it has to be some kind of exercise. Right. And I, I would also uh, advise uh, to children just to quit school and uh, become feral. Uh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you want to. I mean, now you want to give about it. you want to give them that uh, that option. You know, that's uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, didn't you think it was a it was a nightmare in going to school? Yeah, p- pretty much because, um, well, it, I don't know know that a heck of a lot's changed about it, but it's d- just the general tendency to um, your f- fellow students weren't uh, f- really interested in anything, you know. Uh, so you were kind of an outsider in that sense, uh, being the smart kid that was interested in things. And, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, and also just the overriding uh, authoritarian environment where you would get the periodic, you know, the principal coming over the intercom and, you know, the latest uh, decree of punishment that will be uh, uh, laid down or, uh, uh, you know. Or, Learning to behave. 
yeah, learning to behave. It's, you know, a very, uh, um, yeah, authoritarian, I don't know what else to say, environment. And uh, so, yeah, that... I make, think that's that, it. That, that, that is what to say. Yeah, right. So, um, and uh, I don't think it's really improved very much. Um, if anything, it's worse. I mean, sure, um, uh, the fact that they don't beat you anymore physically, that's uh, a big improvement. I'll, I'll hand you that. Um but it's not like that they don't use every other method right, uh, to uh, to punish you. But um, and you know, and I think it's a lot worse now for kids in that uh, there's definitely the uh, school to prison pipeline now that's much more prominent uh, than it was in our time because just of the war on expansion on the war on drugs. Uh, you know, this is just uh, much more prevalent. Uh, that, you know, you're in school and you get suspended and then it escalates up into you being semi-prisoner and then, <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, and then you're linked in and then you're the product uh, to, be, to be in the prison. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, good, yeah, good news in the U.S., I, um, you know, Every, every day, Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, just to, um, let's uh, uh, quickly before uh, uh, the next thing, uh, I wanted to qu quickly go over that. I noticed in the New York Times, you were kind of mentioning celebrity and athletes and stuff, and, and they have two kind of Taylor Swifty, Travis Kelsey things. So there's uh, mm -hmm. the people who brought you uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, a plan, uh, and what is Kelsey? He plays for what? Kansas City Chiefs, tight end. Uh, tight end, okay. And uh, have they done well this year? Uh, well, they're still in the regular season in the NFL. Oh, okay. It hasn't gotten to the postseason yet. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, they, they really, they've added a, another week to the regular season in the NFL, and it just, to me, it seems like it's just gone on. Way too long. Mm -hmm. Kind of like all the sports do these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Travis Kelsey, a plan was hatched to make the football player a famous, as famous as The Rock, and it began long before he started dating the world's most famous pop singer. Uh, so there's the Taylor Swift uh, uh, thing. And then a little farther down under the Great Read section uh, is Michaela Schifrin plans her next phase. She studies Taylor Swift. Uh, the champion American ski racer and unabashed Swifty has long seen the sing singer as a textbook guide for navigating fame, adversity, and success. Uh, so, oh, oh boy. The, uh, that's a great read. Okay. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing how this Taylor Swift is just taken over. Like it's like the only thing you can talk about it. <laughs> it's just bizarre. high dehumanization, <laughs> and uh, it makes me think of, of a, a excellent point that you've made consistently over the years, which is hierarchy. And well, I think what you see right, in right. Taylor Swift is that the whole point is just hierarchy. Right now, Taylor Swift is the hot brand, but what she represents is hierarchy right she's just the person to be at the top and someone has to be and and you said it like it's just amazing what is it exactly that she's doing that makes her so great 
And the thing to learn is in, in this system, that's got nothing to do with it. There's a hierarchy. The top just goes further and further away from the rest, right? It keeps soaring, going up and up and up and up, right? Like a hot air balloon, <laughs> right? Where everything stays at the end. And something's got to be up there. And there's, and it's basically convergence of the lowest common denominator is going to put something up there. Something will go up there, right? If you construct the, the framework, like the painting is going to look like this, then some color is going to go at the top, right? Yeah, yeah, And right now it's Taylor Swift, some color or some face, some figure goes at the top, whatever it is. It could be the angel at the top of the Christmas tree. It could be Taylor Swift on top of the corpse. Pot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you make, you make your home out of the bones, you know, uh, you make your castle, Personally, your castle. Even though uh, I'm not religious and I can't really remember the last time uh, we had a, a, a Christmas tree. Uh, I, I like Christmas trees. I'll say this. I have enjoyed on my, going on my runs and some of my drives in the evening. There have been some nice lit up places. Mm -hmm. And I mean decorations that it, it really looks cool and the. Mm -hmm. Like these electric purple lights mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and things that are, are done where there's a, a nice design and it's not overly done. It isn't just but a sleigh and <laughs> yeah, yeah. reindeer and a snowman. Right, all, yeah. all artificial, of course, because uh -huh. when you're yeah. in the South. You're yeah. just... And speaking of that, um, uh, you know, the big, the big inflatable of uh, things in the yard is back right so it's like you see a lot of these big fucking things uh, so you know there is that canned thing in this kitsch uh part of it which is kind of funny in itself it's not like you know a crime or anything uh but yeah i know what you're talking about somebody that really has a good sense of color and design uh showcases your house and looks neat and you know i think that's um kind of artistic and a pleasant thing to see in the community for sure yeah and and mixed with the uh uh bizarre consumerism that's that's um, kind of horrifying and funny at the same time but i'll take the christmas tree with the angel on top versus the pile of corpses with taylor <laughs> swift on top yeah well but but david if you light it right after much it, deliberation if you light it right it, it's all right you know if you, you get the bones lit right see that's the that's the key uh, of course <laughs> you know you narrow-minded you gotta have taylor swift on her on her good on her good side and uh the right um yeah the right uh flashing mode to kind of dull I your senses imagination. yeah yeah and uh yeah, so yeah, the uh, it's what is uh, Travis Kelsey? I mean, is is it because he's good looking and and uh, well, he's an NFL superstar. He's an all star. I mean, he's a great. He's probably the best tight end in in the game. Oh, okay. uh, Mahomes is the quarterback. I mean, they've won a Super Bowl, so he's not just an mm -hmm. NFL football player. Yeah. And 
yeah, I mean, in, in this culture, and I would imagine cultures worldwide, I mean, the females really like the jocks. I mean, let's yeah. not. Yeah, that, get speak, speaking of our high school experience, yeah. That's that, why that, we have the Hallmark Channel, so that <laughs> we can watch these films where all these incredibly good looking women wind up with these kind of feeble, mealy, uh, homebody men that wear sweaters and. <laughs> uh, know how to bake. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They speak, like Christmas. Yeah, that that was something I didn't mention. You know, there's the authoritarian atmosphere, but there was, uh, you know, the the basic culture was the the jock and the cheerleader. Uh, that was kind of sure, the, that, that was I, that was the core of the um, of the culture, rather than the learning and the smart people being respected or. Right. Well, the emphasis on extracurricular activities, and that's how mm -hmm. you invert things, right? Because it's not about the curriculum, right? The curriculum is a joke. There's not really any attention paid to it. Nobody really, there's not any input that goes into it. Like, why do it this way? Like, can you imagine the basketball coach or the, the football coach just gets this playbook from 1959? And the athletic director says, this is what you're going to do. You to remember this and do, this, do it like this. And then that's how your sports would be, right? And no one would ever say, yeah, but like uh, Jonesy here is uh, really, really good. Like, why don't we just give him the ball and let him shoot? Well, it says here that you want to stand like 30 feet from the basket and should average about like uh, seven shots per game and as a team. And, but that's the way that the teaching in the curriculum is right. The, the teacher isn't the one that says, this is my team. These are, these are my players. How, how, what strategies am I going to use? Um, what will the curriculum be? I mean, I'm either teaching the class or I'm not. And of course it isn't that way. Like you're, given something to teach and if you want to be able to keep your job you have to comply with what you're expected to do how you're expected to do it and you're you're going to be evaluated in in this um in this rigid uh, fragmented broken down uh way that isn't that's nonsensical Right, that uh, it's just sort of self-referential. Right, the system says that the, an educated person is someone who does well on the test that the system itself uh, designs and administers. Whereas I would say, um, and I would apply this for like how you would evaluate a liberal arts college professor. Right, I mean, get this. And then you could think about how you could work your way backward to high school and middle school. But instead of looking at each individual liberal arts college professor, I think that the better way to evaluate them is collectively, right? Because there can't be that much difference between what this one, this one, this one is doing if we actually believe in the first place that there is such a thing as uh, the liberal arts and that there's some common core to what all these people are doing. 
So you would look at your population and you would ask yourself, do I look at a population of people who seem educated to me? Right. Look at how your institutions work. Look at how Congress works. Look at how the public behaves. And I think about the pandemic, worst performing nation in the world. And I think about the uh, pervasive apathy. And I, th I think about the wars. I think about the genocide in, in Gaza. And it's like, for God's sake, you could get rid of all these schools and it would be better than the way that it is. I mean, if anything, people just learn how to be assholes when they uh, certainly college is like the finishing school. But uh, in, in high school, this self-aggrandizing, as you said, the you know, jocks, cheerleaders, excelling in the extracurricular activities, this is a clear way to just marginalize and sort of plow through the, the smart people who are interested in learning. Like, where is the curriculum? <laughs> How can there be extracurricular when there is no curricular? <laughs> outside out, outside of what? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is the point that uh, Frederick Jameson makes in The University in Ruins when he responds to the, uh, the, the pleas of the marginalized communities that they're left out of the, the culture, right? And you see that still today with the Democrats and that uh, the government should look like America, right? Your your government should look like uh, uh, the, the the people, and all these people are left out. And and Jameson argues that there is no culture. These people aren't left out of anything because it doesn't exist, right? There's just there's nothing except for uh, a corporate agenda, and it. The America and, and postmodernism is the operation of that uh, corporate agenda. It's the performance and the reinforcement of that corporate agenda. That's all that it is, right? There's, n there's nothing beyond that. Uh, so there's nothing that, that people are, are, are being left out of. And so you could say the same thing with the high school and then going into college because college has become so much like high school in the sense of the extracurricular of the extracurricular just dominating and eclipsing makes me think of our wonderful um, iconic oblivion logo of that eclipse picture that you took. But mm -hmm. how can there be extracurricular when there is no curricular? Yeah, but at least you've got the team. Go team! Yeah. Right, and so uh, and, and you see this see the same thing in college, where just the I think name, image, and likeness really um, reproduces and and replicates at the college level the same kind of hierarchy that you had. Um, between the jocks and everyone else at the high school level. Because now, instead of it being 
okay, in high school, you got to beat me up and you got to have sex with all the good looking females who cock teased me while I was helping them with their science answers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they cock teased you. Fuck. Now we're going up and we're going to go to college. And and this is where my smart smart brain is going to pay off because you're a a jock. And yeah, you'll get to play in college, but you're not going to be good enough to play in the pros. And so while you're beating your brains in and wearing your high school letter jacket around a college campus, you know, I'm going to be hitting the books, going to the library, making good grades. And then I'm going to go on to have this really good career. And then you'll be uh, just stuck with some kind of uh, blue collar job that isn't all that great with nothing left to do, but uh, gain weight and relive the glory days. (laughs) Right. And then all the good looking women that, you know, wouldn't have sex with me when I was in high school and in college. Now I've got a lot of money because I'm a smart professional and now they all want to have sex with me and they're tired of the overweight, uh, jock who just eats fast food and watches, uh, (laughs) games on, uh, television. Um, but that doesn't now that, uh, yeah, that's so it, it's the bitter you were the hierarchy back then, dude, but now you're that's, shit. That story arc is is wiped out because now it just recycles. I go to college, I go to class all the time and have to work hard on this stuff, and then the the athlete can can literally blow it off because once they sign that name, image, and likeness deal, the money's in the bank. I mean, they don't even really have to stay uh, eligible because they can – they can transfer or hell they just don't have to play i mean they've made a bunch of money immediately just like that here's something that is obviously totally uh ridiculous and and coercive uh to learning and it's definitely going to undermine the learning environment in a college classroom so you have a star athlete who's going to be a projected lottery pick in the nba it's a freshman has already signed a name, image, and likeness deal. And they've already got $2 million in the bank. And they're taking this English 101 class. And then here comes 28-year-old David Overby with cat fur on his chin and on the butt of his corduroy pants making $19,000 a year <laughs> to teach eight sections of freshman writing. True story. <laughs> and be, well, except for the fact that even if I had an athlete in my class, which, which I have had, I mean, uh, 25 years ago, uh, at least it was under the table, whatever money they were getting. But like, this is like, serious money. Now it's a millionaire and everybody knows who they are. And it's like, what the hell am I supposed to go in there and be teaching everyone? Right. I mean, when you live in a culture that's dominated by money, here I am working my brains out and it's just draining and miserable. And I'm working with a bunch of creeps. And then here's this uh, great athlete, great basketball player. Everybody likes him. and He's got two million dollars. 
I'm supposed to walk into that room and tell everybody, all right, listen to me. If you want to get somewhere in life, let's think about how you write a sentence in the English language. <laughs> I mean, as the saying goes, it's not it's not white English, it's not black English, it's green English. <laughs> and if that's true, then then the I mean, the freshman basketball player is the one who should be uh, teaching the class. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah. Of course, I remember in high school that the like the jock coach they always had him teach something, some some lame ass. Teach thing. history. <laughs> yeah. That's what they taught at uh, <laughs> Murray. At Murray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the uh, uh, you learn a lot that way. <laughs> you're you're going to learn how life is. Always right. was I mean, and always will be. Right. And now let's uh, well all welcome our new uh, rugby coach, Winston Churchill. <laughs> I mean, it's it, again, it's it's the same thing. Like, would you would you want uh, a historian to be your football coach? Of course not, <laughs> right? It'd be it's the same same argument. Like this, someone is uh, you know writing a book about World War II or uh, presidents before they became uh, famous and what their common backgrounds were. Oh yeah, I'm also going to coach football. Oh shit, game starts uh, in about ten minutes. All right. Uh, Better uh, put my uh, chapter down here and go. All right, team. Now, uh, what do we do? With the yeah, the handoff. Okay, go. Well done. Right, and you've got this person that what's on their mind is nickel defense and special teams and tight end delay and uh, uh, running game, scat back, wildcat. post route. I mean, playbooks for uh, football teams uh, are pretty extensive. I mean, that, that is one thing about the game of football where you do have to use your brain. Um, so, I mean, I've never been a fan of the idea, the, the stereotype of the dumb jock, but that doesn't mean we have to turn around and say that Joe Namath should be our Professor Emeritus of History. <laughs> Indeed. Pantyhose in the Civil War, brought to you by <laughs> Touchdown Joe Namath. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. For my colleague and co-host, David Vernon Miller, this is Dr. David W. Overby, and you've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast.